This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Patrick Brown was not the only high-profile politician to resign yesterday. Eric Hoskins stepped down as health minister and as an MPP, and there is confirmation he is taking a job as Ottawa's new pharmacare czar. His job will be to figure out how to implement universal drug coverage in next year's budget, which will drop just in time for the next election. Joining me, I have the country's foremost expert on pharmacare, Professor Steve Morgan of UBC, and Dr. Nadia Alam, the OMA president-elect. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks Thanks for having us on the show, Libby. Okay, great. First of all, uh, let us start with Nadia. Um, The Ontario Medical Association uh, did not have a happy relationship with Dr. Eric Hoskins. Uh, His replacement is Helena Jasek. Is this a good thing? I hope so. Um, You're absolutely right, Libby. We've had a very turbulent and often frustrating relationship with uh, Health Minister Hoskins. it's been frustrating mainly because it's not felt as if he's listened to what boots on the ground doctors have had to say about the healthcare system, about the challenges they're facing in their office, about the challenges of running a, a medical practice in a system that's very, very strained um, and where our patients are struggling to get the care they need. So hopefully, um, Dr. Yatsek, whom I've heard is also a physician, will be a change, not just a new face but an actual change in attitude and culture at the Ministry of Health. Okay, um, and now to Professor Steve Morgan. Uh, so th- the other uh, question is, um, you came out with a blueprint with which other politicians uh, accepted based on studies that the people most affected uh, who were not able to pay for their medications were people uh, over the age of 55, say, younger than 65, when most people get their meds covered, uh, people who are starting to get multiple conditions as they age, uh, but were not did not yet qualify. This government, under Eric Hoskins, turned around and implemented pharmacare for young people. So does, does this give you confidence uh, with having Dr. Hoskins at the helm there? Uh, yeah, it does. It does for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> I mean, first of which is uh, Dr. Hoskins, having having been a practicing physician and also a humanitarian working in, in, in the, the non-governmental sort of sector, has demonstrated time and time again that he understands the issue. He understands that it that it is uh, important. In fact, it's a it's an, an international legal obligation that Canadian governments make sure that patients can afford the prescriptions they need when when uh, they're appropriate uh, medicines for their healthcare needs. And um, <clears throat> so, as a clinician, he he understands the issue that that we need universal coverage. As a health minister in Ontario, particularly, uh, you know, one that had done a number of things that caused uh, a challenge in terms of his relationship with the, with the health professions in Ontario, 
Minister Hoskins was not in a position to convince the Premier that they should go all the way to uh, universal pharmacare for people of all ages in Ontario, uh, with Ontario going it alone. And I think what happened when uh, Ontario introduced OHIP Plus, or what we call it Pharmacare Junior, uh, (laughs) for children and youth, was they were sending a signal to Ottawa, a signal that said that the Ontario government believes that Pharmacare should in fact be universal for all people of all ages, and it should be public. And, and public in a way that is reasonably comprehensive, not just uh, a few medicines, but actually all medicines that patients might reasonably need. So uh, I think that this move, and we'll find out in a few hours exactly what the move is, but this move for, for Hoskins into a position in Ottawa may actually allow him to get the federal government to do its share so that they can fill that really important gap, and that's working-age Canadians, working-age Ontarians, who often do fall through the cracks of the, of the private insurance system. Uh, Nadia, as a physician, uh, how often do you encounter this as a problem where you want to prescribe something uh, for your patients and they either can't get it at all or they uh, cut pills in half and, and it hampers their recovery? More often than I'd care to count, I see it almost every week where where patients and I'll have a chat about the medications that they need for care, um, and not just medications, but physiotherapy if necessary, all the allied health work that can also help promote health, um, or that can help promote health. We have conversations where I'll mention drugs that I want to start them on. They'll return with, doctor, which ones do I really, really need? Because I can't afford them all. And they're in a difficult position. I, I do agree um, with my colleague there that this particular group, this sandwich generation that's busy raising kids, paying down mortgages, that's busy taking care of elderly parents, and that's often working full out, they often end up with a number of illnesses. They often end up with an, on a number of medications, and they are often the ones that turn to me and say, I have the hardest time being able to pay for my medications. So pick and choose. Which one am I going to get the most bang for my buck? That's um, that's very sad commentary, but I'm going to ask you uh, the question that I asked Steve. Given the way that uh, Pharmacare has been implemented here in Ontario, are you confident uh, that Eric Hoskins is the right person to lead it nationally? My hope is that he will have learned his lessons from the way Pharmacare was implemented in Ontario. I think the rollout of um, OHIP Plus was badly done. It was a, it felt rushed. There wasn't consultation. Um, a lot of physicians who take care of the sickest kids found that there were gaps in care and being able to continue coverage for the medications that kids had been taking for weeks, months, years. So, for example, a kid who, is a, who has seizures and is on Keppra or on kids on certain antidepressants, their symptoms might be stable, but these drugs weren't covered under the new program. There wasn't a, a way to transition them into coverage um, without running through a ton of forms. It, it was So just a minute, they had previously been covered how? They were previously covered by their parents' plans. Okay, but now if if they need a drug that's not covered on OHIP Plus, uh, they can't get it on their parents' plans? Not without running through a program called the Exceptional Access Program and being denied by it. So the Exceptional Access Program is a program run by the Ontario government where they will consider covering drugs that are not 
on the Ontario Drug Benefits Program. Um, and there are a number of drugs like that, particularly newer drugs that have fewer side effects and that have become favored first-line treatment um, for, huge, for um, lots of sick kids, so kids with rheumatoid arthritis, kids with seizure disorders, um, and so on and so forth. So you, you have a kid, you try and run it through. The commercials make it look like all you have to do is hand in your OHIP card and your drugs are covered. The reality is very different. If those drugs aren't covered by OHIP+, Plus, which a lot of them aren't, the patient has to go back to the family physician. The family physician has to fill out um, a form called an Exceptional Access Program form, which requires a lot of documentation mm-hmm. and a lot of tests to prove the diagnosis before the government will consider covering it. If the government denies it, then the private insurers will consider covering it. And they don't all do it anymore. So it's really left, uh, the implementation, the rollout of OHIP Plus has left a lot to be desired. Um, Steve, uh, I know that you're concentrating on the medical aspects, but um, do you have anything to say about bureaucratic aspects of uh, universal pharmacare? I mean, it, it's not intended to cover every single drug, just the most common ones. Um, yeah, I think the, a, a well-run pharmacare program covers uh Common medicines. It it also covers medicines for conditions that affect smaller populations or that are that are for more rare um, healthcare needs. I think the key thing that listeners um, need to understand and, and Canadians need to understand is that. Um, a public pharmacare system cannot be an open bar for pharmaceuticals. It cannot be a system that covers any medicine uh, with any level of uh, clinical evidence at any price. Um, systems around the world like ours, whether you look at systems in Europe or, or once in Australia and New Zealand, that run universal public systems of, of drug coverage, they all have mechanisms in place to make sure that what is being covered has uh, good quality scientific evidence of its safety and efficacy in treating conditions and that it is priced at a level that represents value for money. And, and that is an important part of, of managing a system appropriately. But, but when it's done, uh, contrary to the claims of some industry stakeholders, the countries that we look to for comparisons, they all have far superior access to medicines than Canada does under this patchwork of private and public plans that we have today. So it's not going to be an open bar for pharmaceuticals, but it's going to be a system that should provide the majority of Canadians uh, vastly improved access to medicines. Right, and it, it we will end up saving money because right now, uh, where do we do we actually rank at the top most expensive drugs in the world, or not quite? Uh, we're sort of we're kind of about second or third, depending on on exchange rates between Canada and the United States and Canada and Germany, two two comparable countries with fairly high prices of medicines. Um, but we do know that amongst all countries except for the United States, Canada has the most level of spending on medicines mm-hmm. on a per capita basis. Um, far more than any comparable country with a universal pharmacare system. And uh, we've published research in a number of journals, including just last year in the Canadian Medical Association Journal, showing that in particular single-payer systems of places like the United Kingdom and Sweden and Netherlands and, uh, sorry, and, uh, and um, Australia and New Zealand, those countries have uh, the best prices of medicines in the world because those single-payer systems can be the toughest negotiators with pharmaceutical companies when it comes down to setting the price. Right. And and um, the other thing is that, I mean, New Zealand is a small country, so their bulk purchasing is, is not 
huge. Yeah, that, it's interesting enough. You know, New Zealand's a little more than four and a half million people. They are able to leverage that relatively small population size, about the size of the population of British Columbia, um, to obtain some of the best prices for medicines in the world. And and they do so because they have a single payer system, and they're able to say. Uh, if if you want our market, if you want to sell that medicine in our market, your price has to be reasonable. It has to reflect value for money. Um, and they do those negotiations in secret, so the manufacturers do not have to tell the rest of the world what the real price in New Zealand is. Um, they just need to make sure that for New Zealand, the price is right. And as a consequence, uh, the total amount of, that is spent on medicines in New Zealand is just a fraction of what we spend in Canada, and yet they have universal access. I, I what, think that we need to uh, take a page, maybe uh, maybe bring somebody back <laughs> from there to teach us how to do it. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's people from there, or even, for instance, in the United States, the Veterans Administration in the United States runs a national pharmacy benefit for all veterans at a fraction of the cost that Canada spends even just insuring seniors in provinces like Ontario. So it, there are examples. We just need to, and, and this is where I'm hopeful that Eric Hoskins will look to the international best practices and say, you know what, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. It's, it's, it, this has been recommended for Canada for 60 years, and there's lots of countries around the world that prove that, that this can be done in a way that fulfills Canadians' right to accessing medicines, but also in a way that saves businesses and employers and households uh, a tremendous amount of money that is currently wasted in the current system we have. Okay, well, that's hopeful. Uh, We've got to wrap this up. Uh, Thank you both, Professor Steve Morgan and Dr. Nadia Alam. Appreciate your being here. And, uh, you know, we wait to see what actually is coming on the Pharmacare front. And there is a lot more on the budget. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, Lisa Raitt, the deputy leader of the Conservative Party, will be with us to talk about the budget that will be unveiled later today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.